0: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
2: It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of
1: character, and they showed it. Shout.
3: what is up everybody welcome into the shout Buffalo football podcast I am your host Matt Perino joined as always by Ra- Ryan Talbot and we have an absolutely monster show for you guys tonight uh, or today this evening here this afternoon depending on where you are in the country uh, we're so excited about it I a little bit about me and it's funny because a lot of times people will ask me um, you know about where I, what I did before I came to cover the bills and you know they're surprised when I tell them, I worked for the UFC in Las Vegas for five years. Um, uh, was an absolutely unbelievable experience, and you know made many friends and many um, you know great memories there over the course of five years. And one of those people uh, that made it possible, uh, the guy uh, Dana White, the UFC president, he's going to be joining us here as our first guest on the Shout Buffalo Bills Football Podcast, brought to you by. Top's friendly markets, your neighborhood store with more. Uh, he is going. Uh, they're going to get him right now. He's going to be in the in here very shortly. But we wanted to kick this thing off and, and get talking about this thing. We have another guest tonight too, Ryan. We're gonna we're gonna talk some bills with uh, John Crick from the Toronto Sun. He will join us right after Dana. And th- there's a ton of stuff to get into on these Buffalo Bills.
1: Yeah, I I think you said it best. This is a monster podcast. What a way to end 2020, uh, what for the most part was a miserable year, except for, you know, from a Bills fan perspective, I suppose it's been a a pretty nice year in in that respect. But what a way to to end the year of 2020 uh, with Dana White and John coming on here to talk a little bit of Bills, UFC, and a little bit of everything else mixed in.
3: Yeah, I'm so excited about the UFC slate uh, to start the year. I mean, listen, Conor McGregor. I mean, anytime there's a Conor McGregor fight, it, it gets everybody's eyes perked up, you know. But this is a really good fight. I mean, Dustin Poirier. It, it's it's not too often when you get a guy the likes of Conor McGregor. When you lose against him, you usually don't get another crack at it. I mean, you saw Nate Diaz; he was able to beat him on short notice, so they did the rematch. Uh, But getting that ticket the second time around to make make up for it, and Dustin's an awesome guy. I spent some time with him on the road uh, at a couple different events and um, really happy for him. It should be uh, super fun uh, to watch that go down. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. We'll talk a little bit of Patriots, and I'll tell you about that in a little little while. Um, But there's some Bills news too, Ryan. Uh, Adam Schefter reports that uh, Kenny Stills is going to be in on a visit today um, which is interesting timing because of the Cole Beasley injury.
1: Yeah, whether it's Cole Beasley related or whether the Bills are looking ahead to 2021, whatever the case may be, I, I think that the timing for this move is right. Obviously, I think that Beasley's injury late in that Patriots game uh, probably accelerated the process. You want to have a veteran presence, another guy that can contribute in the playoffs. Uh, will he be signed to the main roster or the practice squad? That's something else that can be discussed here. Uh, because it was reported yesterday that those practice squad players can be elevated, and you don't have to you can you don't have to worry about losing them uh, after the games, things like that. But maybe you sign them to a two year deal, and you have them on the roster for 2021, uh, and that way you already know that you're coming in with quite the skill set at wide receiver for Josh Allen. But definitely some interesting news, uh, and like Adam Schefter said, expected to uh, pretty much get worked out between the two parties. When we get Dana in here, um,
3: we got a full, you know, uh, half hour plan with him, but, you know, leave a comment in here. If, if, if you do have a question, if something really stands out in the comments, you know, what we like to do, we try to follow along and, and involve you guys as much as possible. Some other big news this afternoon, Ryan, fans will be in attendance when the Buffalo Bills play their playoff, uh, football, the first playoff football in Bill stadium, which was rich stadium. The last time, uh, it happened, uh, Bill's fans are going to be there. 6,700 uh, fans. Uh, details are starting to come out. I started reading through some of the FAQ. Uh, ticket prices are going to range from about 50 to 360. You have to buy in pockets of two or four. Um, but having Bill's fans back in the stadium, I mean, I'm jacked up for it. You know, I'm there covering the team and, you know, being in there and, uh, and seeing that empty stadium. It's just never felt right. So to get him back is going to be amazing.
1: Yeah. Players are definitely hyped up about it too. They've been saying they wanted fans and attends for a while now. And you want to know how good this team has been this year. I saw fans talking on Twitter about if I get tickets, should I pass up wild card weekend? Because if you get tickets to wild card weekend, that first game, you don't get tickets to the following game. If the bills win, you're out of the running Mm for that. So uh, someone with, I guess, pretty high up on the seniority list was was writing, Oh, should I turn down the wild card weekend tickets? And you know, how, how long has it been since you can say that you have that much confidence in the team that you think they're going to host a second game as well? So that's really saying something.
3: Getting the link to uh, Dana right now. I uh, <clears throat> sent the original one, and it looks like the other one's not working. So let me get this one to him. Um, you. It's funny, Ryan. The story of you and me, actually, um, before I ever even started working here, you we, you and I connected on social media. You're You're a low-key UFC guy.
1: Yeah. I obviously do not have the extensive knowledge that you do in that regard, but I do love watching the shows. Uh, I was big into it this year, especially during, you know, when, when sports were on a halt, the the UFC came through with great card after great card after great card. Um, but yeah, I've always been a fan. I've always been someone that's watched the cards when I can, but like I said, I mean, you and I hold different levels of knowledge for sure.
3: Yeah. It's, um, it's been a whirlwind. And one of the cool things, it was a whirlwind when I was in the UFC, but it's almost like timing is so cool in life sometimes because I got to be there and experience these great moments. And there's always going to be great moments in the UFC moving forward. I mean, it's it's on this crazy trajectory up. I'm so excited about so many fights that are that are coming this year and young fighters. We're definitely going to talk about some of that with Dana. Um, but... The Bills, I mean, covering this team right now, I mean, it's it really truly is a dream job. Even if you didn't grow up in the city, I mean, covering this team right now is just something special.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've come a long way just from when you've joined us. Uh, we, we've come a long way from when I started covering this team, whether we're talking uh, starting out with Queen City Sports all the way up till now. Obviously, there was some pretty bad Bills teams that I covered along the way, and, and this is night and day difference for sure.
3: We got Dana coming in here. I texted the link um, to uh, Miss Lana who is a very good friend of mine and was so awesome to set this up. Hopefully we'll get him in here. we'll get it started. Um, we're also going to talk, like I mentioned a lot of bills on this show today uh, because you know going into a game where I mean Ryan, really this could be you know one of those games that you know in years past, would have been a game where maybe you know players weren't playing because there was nothing to play for because the Bills weren't going to go to the playoffs and now it's a completely different situation. I mean, we saw some of it last year, you know, where the Bills already had uh, clinched their playoff spot and you know, only played Josh Allen for a little bit. This could be another situation where we don't see too many. I mean, where are you leaning? I, I almost feel like at this point, you know, with Pittsburgh keeping guys out and and not not playing Ben Roethlisberger, it might make a lot of sense for Sean to be, you know, careful here.
1: Yeah, if he is, in his mind, if he feels like the starters have to play for a a period of time, I would treat this like the final preseason game where, uh you or maybe the first preseason game, you're rolling out for a series or two, and then you say that's it. And when it comes to Josh Allen, I'm handing the ball off every single time. I'm not risking anything there. Uh, Where he's going to stand on, I don't know. Because like you said, Pittsburgh, the team that could take the two seed this weekend, They've already gone ahead and said Ben Roethlisberger is not playing. You're going to have Mason Rudolph. Some other key starters will likely sit as well. Uh, so they don't seem too uh, focused on, on trying to claim that spot. And if as long as they lose, which they'll be going at the same time as the Bills, so there's no competitive advantage for the Bills to kind of scoreboard watch ahead of time, obviously. But if they lose, the Bills get that two seed regardless. So probably a good plan. Say.
3: My man, what is up? The man, I should say. Dana
2: White, how are you? You guys are choppy. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. You can hear me perfectly? Yes. Can you hear us okay? Let me try a headphone to see what happens here. Okay. Can you hear us now? How's that sound? still fucked up. Is the video fine? Yeah, the video looks good. They can hear me. Yeah, you sound crystal clear. Let me rejoin. I'm going to back up and rejoin. We're going to try and come in again.
3: Okay, cool, cool, cool. We will wait for the boss folks. And, um, funny story. One of the features that I did with Dana when I was at the UFC, it was called the Dana download. And I, you know, I'm going to talk about it in a second, but some days, I mean, there's so much going on in the UFC. He gave me his time every week to sit down and spend 15 minutes with him, shoot any question that I had at him. And then to write a story for UFC.com. And a lot of days, like, you know, he's making fights, he's taking phone calls. People are in and out of his office. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, Hey, I'll sit here as long as you want until <laughs> until you have uh, ten minutes for me uh, to, to to give me. And it was he was always great with his time, always great with the content, and you know uh, troubleshooting a, a little bit here uh, is pretty awesome. Man, I miss that building, Ryan. That's one thing. You know, me and my wife wanted to get back out to uh, Vegas for our honey or not like our honeymoon, but our ten year anniversary. We we're going to go back to Vegas because we lived there for five years and we weren't able to really experience Vegas like you really should with a young kid. And then we had another one the second time around. And so we were going to go out there and I would love to like host friends out in Vegas and kind of the whole experience, show them the UFC headquarters, which was, it's just such a beautiful uh building. They, they spent time, you know, Dana, obviously at the forefront of it, really f- going around the world and kind of figuring out, all right, how do we want to make the best, you know, headquarters that we can make and what is there in vegas now is just absolutely beautiful i miss it got you, now. you hear us now got, got us yep perfect perfect how are you my friend
2: you i'm good i'm right. good i'm good i'm ready to fucking slap 2021 right in the head <laughs> I love it. I miss
3: I miss that energy, man. I tell people all the time, you've not lived until you've been in a Dana White staff meeting. I mean, I'm telling you going back to the old building in that in that conference room right out by the front when you gather all the troops. I mean, best, best, some of the best times of my life out there in Vegas for five years. So That's I want to awesome. say, first of all, how this came about. So I texted you. You were on vacation in, in the Caribbean, and I texted you. I think it was the middle of the night because I thought, hey, you know, the time difference, whatever – I thought the timing would be kind of good because you know, gave me a lot of stuff about the Patriots for years and
2: years and years. And now uh, uh, the Patriots. <laughs> oh, all the all the ghosts of, of Buffalo past are coming after me now. Believe me. <laughs> I gotta listen to all these fucking Buffalo guys now. Well, it's funny but because congratulations, you guys, you guys have been through a lot of misery. It's about time you you got some type of enjoyment.
3: I was going to say it's just going to be you know it's probably going to be an off year one or two. Bill Belichick, where's your confidence level at, Bill, getting this thing uh, figured out?
2: Listen, I'm 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 uh, you know the the Patriots are pretty much I mean it's pretty much over right now this season. He'll he'll go back to the drawing board. He's good at what he does, and we'll see what he shows up with uh, with next year. But you know, Belichick, Brady, and the boys have given us a good twenty years. I, I, I've had I had a good run. Um, time to let some other people have some fun.
3: Has, has any of the Buffalo folks that have reached out to you asked you if you, uh, you know, fly yourself through a table in celebration and honor? Hey, what? H- have you fly through a table, smash through a table? You know, you know, you've seen the videos of Bill's mafia, I'm sure, flying and hitting themselves through table. You've not seen this? No, I haven't seen this. Oh my gosh. It's like a movement, you know, out at the tailgates in celebration of games, they, they'll slam each other through tables and, you know, you know, bar is a big fan. I think they dedicated a whole web page to it, but you know, it's just a little bit of a joke.
2: Yeah, Buffalo fans um, have lost their minds for losing for the last however many years. <laughs> now they're jumping through tables when they start winning. Um, are, you, are you a but, Brady
3: guy now? You, you are you cheering? Yeah, I want.
2: I do. I watch the I watch the Bucks play and I watch the Patriots. Yeah.
3: Okay. So I was talk. I was telling a little bit of the story before you jumped on, and um, we always have technical issues. <laughs> like that calling card so thank you for being patient with it and you know when I first got to the UFC it was Dave Schaller uh shout out to Dave he's now at the Philadelphia Sixers he brought me into your office one day and he said listen here's this kid we just got him out here from Buffalo he's going to do some stuff on ufc.com he's got this idea where he kind of wants to sit with you for 10 minutes every week pick your brain and then do a story about it and there you are sitting there like all right let's do it and and I tell people all the time that's just kind of the attitude at the UFC is like let's try a bunch of stuff, see what happens. And you know, I I thought it was a cool story because you haven't laid off a single person. I have so many friends still in the UFC during this entire pandemic. It's unbelievable the the close bond that's that's there in that building.
2: Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. I think that you know, I, I love the experience that you had while you're here. I, I I love hearing about that. And you always great, man. You're you're. When you would come up, you'd always have uh, – you, you were a better interviewer than the media was. And, uh, you know, the fact that, that you had such a good time here, and I think that, you know, as a group we've become closer this year uh, because of going through what, what, what we went through. You know, when you were here, you know, this thing was, that was always going like this. So when, when things are successful, um, a lot of things are said, and, you know, you don't find out who's real – until the shit hits the fan. And, and uh, that was this year. So um, on both sides, on, on the, on the management side and, and the employee side, we, we all found out what's what. And uh, I think we're all in a really good place and loving life right now.
3: So Ryan, you want to, you want to take over on the uh, New England uh, Belichick? Uh, what, yeah. what are your, what are your thoughts on Belichick? I guess.
2: Well, listen, I mean, this was eventually going to happen when you have, the dynasty that these guys have had for so long, you know, we're going to get here. We knew that one day Brady was going to, uh, was going to retire. And anybody who ever thought that Brady wasn't a huge part of the success, you know, cause you always get the haters and the detractors and, you know, and, and it was such a good team defensively, offensively. Um, and Belichick's such a great coach, um, great owner, you know, and craft the list goes on and on, but Brady was a big part of this team, man, and uh, I knew when he left things were going to be a lot different and uh, we're going to take some time to rebuild. But who could you have more confidence in than Belichick?
1: It's true. You know, one of the biggest things that uh, I noticed on Monday Night Football during that game with the Bills and the Patriots is they kind of criticized Belichick for his drafting. But at the same time, the Patriots have been in this situation where they've been drafting at the end of the first round every year. You're not going to get those blue chip prospects. So now that you're talking middle of first round, maybe top 12, uh, how much can the draft help accelerate this process for the Patriots turnaround?
2: Well, for the last 20 years, the Patriots have always pulled out these guys you never heard of that. You don't (laughs) even know where they came from. They all look too small. Um, and, and, and these guys three, four years later end up leaving and and making big money somewhere else. They, they, they make their name there and, and end up going off and getting paid. Um, you know, I don't know if he can still pull that off. He's going to need to find a strong quarterback. He's going to have to spend some money or, or, or get get a good draft pick, or I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to have to do, but he's much better. I'll leave that up to Belichick. He's much better <laughs> at that than me.
3: Yeah, speak Yeah, we'll probably leave the football talk there because I want to get into some fight stuff. And before I do, check out this video real quick. Uh, this was from Monday night. Check it out we go just bill's touchdown sorry but look at this double leg takedown here (laughs) right in the side control for john feliciano landing some ground and pound so i you know he he actually has some uh he's a huge fight fan he's been to a couple fights in ufc Uh, i've talked to him plenty about it and he wants to get into maybe fighting after his career but what did you think of that video and just like just the excitement for ufc
2: that's awesome i love it i love it um and hey that, that's great. I, I love seeing stuff like that, especially when, you know, these athletes and other sports, you know, uh, whether it's copying the McGregor walk or, or you know, stuff like that, it's, it's always fun. And, uh, yeah, your, your, your quarterback, man, what a stud. I was watching that game. Um, uh, what game was that that they just played? Who'd they just destroy? Broncos, Steelers. Broncos, Broncos yeah. Broncos, yeah. Uh, he was running – he was running to the right, then ran out to the left, and, and just threw that ball in for a touchdown. Physically, doesn't even look like you know you could pull something like that off. That kid is an absolute stud. Um, yeah, you guys are in for 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 a fun time up in Buffalo. Finally, <laughs> finally, and the finally. snow just started. So shitty that's weather, <laughs> shitty football for twenty years. Finally, <laughs> finally. Uh- <laughs>
3: Speaking of football and players making the transition, I mean Greg Hardy is a guy that you know, for all intents and purposes, pretty successful considering he never fought in the you know professionally. And to see those success that he's had, what does it take for a guy that's you know from any other sport? You've seen you know a couple examples to kind of transition and be successful in this game.
2: He looked damn good. He lost the last fight, but he looked damn good in it right up until he lost. Um, You you know, he's done very well here. I, I didn't expect him to, to possibly stick around this long, especially in that heavyweight division. There's some nasty guys, um, but but he's done very well. Yeah, it's funny because the the, the football guys, uh, the football guys seem to be the guys that like to cross over into MMA. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, speaking one more thing about the NFL, what's it been like having the Raiders in Las Vegas now?
2: I don't know. I haven't been to a game, or, or I, I own a box there. I have a box, and I've never seen it. I've never seen my box, and I've never been to a game, so uh, I don't know yet. Till all this, you know, madness ends. Uh, but it's it's a little weird for me because uh, I'm, I own a box, but I'm such a huge Patriots, so and now I'm watching the Bucks. I, I I don't really watch the Raiders yet. I haven't gotten into it. I think I need to, you know, I need to get in there and get in my box and watch some games and, and uh, get into it a little bit more.
3: So it, it has been nothing. Like, obviously it can't be because no fans. But, like, what I tell people all the time, when the Golden Knights came in town, that thing blew up. I mean, people were so hyped about going to the games. And it's kind of a bummer you can't even see that with the Raiders because there's no fans.
2: Well, the Raiders, too, it's sold out. I mean, you know, you can't go. But that place is sold out. I mean, the boxes are gone. They went like that. And – um. No, the, when, when things come back and people can go, the Raiders will be very successful.
3: So big fight to start the year. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could come up with a bigger banger than this. I mean, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, um, it's going to be happening uh, over in the bubble again, if I'm correct. Uh, you're yeah. going to do a bubble again? Okay.
2: Yeah, we're and- going to fight Island Abu Dhabi. Uh, we will be inside the bubble. Our bubble keeps shrinking, though. Every time we go there, our bubble gets smaller and smaller because uh they're opening up abu dhabi now you know Mm -hmm. as the city continues to open up to people um we're getting we're getting crushed and but i mean our bubble over there was ridiculous it was it was guaranteed the nicest bubble anywhere on the planet so we've gotten a little spoiled Mm -hmm. so First Of all you're right, the, the, the
3: videos that, that came out of there you know, the hotel rooms, the just the service and everything. I mean, UFC, you know, traveling it's always first class, but you're to your point, oh wow, it looks like a great time over there, especially in, in, under the circumstances. You're to your point earlier, it could be real drag and you know, go through this and
2: no, I mean, that we had access to, we had access to 20 restaurants, really. 20 restaurants and and really good restaurants not like uh you know not like fast food places or something like mm-hmm. we had access to 20 really good restaurants it was incredible pools the beach beach clubs i mean all that stuff was available to us inside our bubble uh mm-hmm. you know so it was pretty amazing
3: there's there's worse ways to go to work in a pandemic
2: i'm That's telling bad. you man everybody that was there was a bitching. They were loving it over there. It was it was, it was a very cool experience, especially to get the hell out of here, you know, because mm-hmm. it was so weird and and crazy over here, and and everybody had already been locked up for for, for a couple months, and uh, so it was nice to go there. Mm-hmm.
3: So, what are your ex- what are your expectations for this fight? Connor hasn't fought in a year. Dustin Poirier has built this unbelievable resume since the last time they fight fought. I mean, it looks like it's going to be an absolute classic. I mean, that's the way going into this. They're both training so hard. I haven't even really heard a lot from either of them.
2: Poirier has wanted this fight again so bad since the first one. And obviously, neither one of these guys are the same fighters they were um, the first time they fought. So it's a very interesting fight. And you're right. connor has been off for a while. But if you look at his training right now, he looks damn good. He's in great shape. Poirier's in great shape. And, uh... To be a fun one.
3: Mm-hmm. What what is the future hold for Connor, you know, in this situation? I know like he had all these plans for coming back last year and a season and all that kind of stuff. But now, I mean there's there's probably plenty of potential after this fight to do kind of all kinds of things. So what is the plan for
2: yeah when when I fly out there, Habib's going to be there too. So I'm going to meet with Habib while I'm there in, in a in a perfect world if Connor wins this fight um, I would love to see the rematch with him and Habib Wow.
3: So would I, so it would would everybody be fight that can be made
2: and, and it's the fight that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
3: Speaking of big fights, John Jones, um, you said, I, I think I heard you on a recent show say, um, you recently had the best conversation you've ever had with him. Yeah. Um, can, I mean, not to go into the details of it, but why was that the case?
2: I think he's in a much better place than he has been. I think, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally, Whatever it might be, he's in a much better place. So, we had a really good phone conversation. He's taken some time off. He's excited to come back. He's excited to fight again. Man, this is this is one of those sports. You you got to be a hundred percent in in every way that you can be in to want to do this. And uh, I, I think he's there. I think that's where he is now.
1: You know, he's very popular in these parts, Rochester, New York, kids. So obviously, a lot of the Bills fans follow him, like him too. What does he have to do in terms of potential fights or matchups to maybe go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time? Oh,
2: Jones? Yeah. Yeah, Jones, is, he's already there. I mean, you're always going to have detractors and people that, you know, like, like the Brady thing, like we were just talking about. Um, it, it's its hard to dispute that Jones, look at how long he's been doing it. The one loss on his record is not a loss. It, it was a screw up by a really bad referee who shouldn't have been in there. Um And I was at a time when the Nevada Commission was very weak. Um, And, uh, you know, the guy's literally undefeated and he's beat the who's who. And now he's going to move up to heavyweight. And if he continues to win fights at heavyweights, it's hard to deny John Jones.
3: Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, Shamayev is a guy that, you know, a lot of excitement for him. And that's one thing that one of the cool things when I was at the UFC was just always looking for the next, big thing you know the kids with the you know the it factors but for you right now if you look at it who, who are some of those people because you obviously have the eye for it
2: yeah obviously Tom's um you know what I love about kid is he wants to fight all the time um the guys that are as good as him and, and want to fight all the time not everybody wants to fight him so it's tough to make fights you sprinkle some COVID on top of that and and, and here we are because Everybody was asking about him this weekend, why he pulled out of the fight. He got COVID. Um, and, uh, you know, he, tried, he he's a savage. He tried to get back in the gym and train through it. And I guess, you know, his lungs didn't respond well. So the, the, the doctor wants him to take some time off before he trains again. Doesn't even want him to start training until, like, sometime in January. So um, you got him. Kevin Holland. Looked, you know, another guy like Jamea wants to fight all the time. And, uh, you know, the kid went 5-0 and in 2020. Uh, he's fun. He's exciting. Good-looking kid. And then, I mean, another one would be Joaquin Buckley, who had in 2020, not in 2020, ever. I mean, the most viral ever in UFC history with that knockout uh, that he had. So, uh, I mean, those are just three. We, we were looking at we're putting together this piece right now for the contender series, mm-hmm. and the amount of talent that's coming off that show is is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, that's just three guys out of many.
3: Mm-hmm. And Holland, my memory serves me right. He came off the you show, know, right? Yeah, he did. So yeah. I mean, I, I did too. Yeah, exactly. I, it's unbelievable. I mean, I remember, you know, the, the ultimate fighter house, Jim um, the uh, over there in Vegas, uh, heading over there for the fights. The You guys were so ahead of the game in a pandemic because fans were so used to watching fights in that environment. So it was like,
2: True. I agree with you. Um, you know, we've we done it on The Contender and we've done it for years on The Ultimate Fighter. So uh, we knew it worked. We knew it looked good. We knew it felt good on TV, and, uh, we, we, and we built an arena next door. So timing is everything. We were ready. Um, so I was at
3: a uh, friend's house for the Tyson. i don't watch a lot of boxing, but my Tyson's coming out of retirement. I'm going to go watch my Tyson fight, and it was you awesome. Too. Those two dudes, like, you know, they threw, and they got after it. You know, respect them. What's going on with the Paul brothers? Because I wasn't really familiar with either of them. Talk, you know, I see one is like calling.
2: <laughs> oh, you, And you think I am <laughs> more about what's going on with the Paul brothers than I do? There, there it is. But the answer yeah. to that question is, who gives a shit? Okay, right. neither one of these guys can fight. It's 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 all a big gimmick. And you know, like I said in a press conference, there's there's a. There's a market for that. If people are dumb enough to spend their money watching that shit, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Good good luck to them. Uh, But I don't even, you know, the the guy's talking. I I could care less with that guy. I get it. He's trying to make some money and doing his thing, and and there's people out there that want to spend their money on that. I'm not that guy. Somebody was
3: saying, like, oh, it's kind of like Kimball's life. And I was like – I don't think it's like Kimbo Slice. Kimbo Slice could
2: fight, man. The Kimbo Slice, he earned his way really into it. I think it's a little bit different in the situation. That's, that's that's an absolute insult to Kimbo Slice. Right. Okay, yeah. the, 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 not even the same. Not even in the same universe. Okay, Amanda Nunes will knock that kid out. I mean, to even think about that guy fighting, a, he's like, oh, I'm never going to fight a. W- uh. you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't because she'll put you. She'll put you in a coma, okay? The, the guy is a, a, just some kid off the street. And 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 one of the big problems with him right now, he's lucky there's a pandemic. He's talking smack about real people. Real people that, that he could run into, you know, at a restaurant some night and things like that. This isn't a real guy. This is just some some kid on YouTube.
1: Very true. Going into the comments here, Dana, someone wants to know what is your Super Bowl prediction for this
2: year? Who makes it and who wins? God, you know what? Th- this year, I-, I really haven't paid that much attention to it. Um, I haven't been watching a lot of a lot of sports this year when I usually do. I mean, I usually go. I, I would have gone to a couple of games this year, the Celtics and and the Patriots. You know, I- I've barely even been watching. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, and there's another one here. I think this is. <laughs> I know you want me to say Buffalo, but I, <laughs> I can't even get myself to say it.
3: <laughs> well, that's, that's so funny that you say that. Cause another comment was like, ask him if he'll say go bills for the playoffs. And I was like, I don't, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. Um, no, this is great. Yeah. And honestly, one of the big reasons I want to get out, get you on here, man, is just to, you know, shoot the shit, say, say, thank you. Um, those five years, I tell people all the time, even being on kind of the media side of things now, like I, I can never say a bad thing about you because I think when you know what a guy is like with the people that work for him, I think that says everything that you need to know about him. Not that I would anyway, I'm a, I'm a big fan as well. Um, but you, I text you in the middle of the night, you say, I got you whenever. And I just want to say from a, most of the world of MMA, That really appreciates you. Thank you for all you do.
2: Thanks, buddy. I I appreciate it. Go Bills! There you go! Go Bills! Happy New Year, my friend. You too. Happy New Year, you guys. Take care.
3: All right. So that was our interview with Dana White, UFC president. He even gave you Bills Mafia a Go Bills for the playoffs. I'm definitely going to have to um, cut that up, and we'll get that – flying around on all the social channels uh, because I did not think he would do that. That's pretty cool for all you guys. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with John Crick.
2: Ready for football? Tops is with ready to serve fan favorites. Everyone will cheer for delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day only at Tops.
3: All right. We are back and we are joined by my friend John Crick from the Toronto star did
0: son. i say that right
2: son
3: that's i don't know like, why i was thinking that
0: that's like saying the buffalo jets or the buffalo patriots but hey yeah, you no, know
3: you know so disrespectful <laughs> i i had it written down and i i put my notes off to the side because i was trying to here's the tough thing john All when good. you're doing one of these podcasts on video you kind of you got to be kind of the producer and the you know the talent at the same time and sometimes you just get jumbled up a bit. But thank you for joining us, my friend.
0: Oh, happy to join both of you. It's uh, I like what you guys do. And I think podcasts are a big part of where things are going. And I've got to learn more about them because one of these days,
3: I'm going to be asked to start doing one. So I'll have you guys on. Very nice. Good. Well, it's great, too, because it, it the way that we do it is super cool, too, that this these live platforms allow you to kind of interact with fans as you go. So sometimes yeah. we'll be in the middle of a conversation and we can kind of either change gears or you know maybe add a, a viewpoint that we didn't we weren't even thinking about and react to that. So it's sure. pretty cool. We got some big news. We got some breaking news this afternoon. Let's start there. The Buffalo Bills will have fans in attendance at the first right. game uh both home playoff games that they get the 2 seed. Uh what are your thoughts?
0: I think that's I think that's okay. I mean when you can have what are we now in the last week of the season? We've had 240 NFL games where each side dresses up to close to 50 players and they're all swap and spit and in close quarters for three hours. If they're according to the NFL's uh, contact tracing, there has not been one case of COVID passed during a game on like on the field, during the game, maybe on the sideline perhaps, but not in the actual competition, I think that's a great sign, not only for all youth sports, which should be looking at this model of going – Maybe we should have the soccer players doing more than kicking the ball to somebody who's 30 feet away, you know, for the next two months, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think that means that for fans, you know, if you're within the pods, as I understand the bills are going to do um, with, of course, the state's permission and the the county's permission to have people in select groups of pods uh, properly distanced in the stands there. What is wrong with that? I don't see that, you know, as long as people before the game, it's the same thing like with the NFL. It's not on the game. It's not on the field during the game, right, where they're having uh, players pass COVID to one another. It's, you know, in the hot tub. It's uh, during the meetings, which, you know, they – quickly as they came to discover that by mid-season started to crack down on the the in-person meetings because that's where it was happening prolonged close-range contact right indoors Um, and if you look if really if you look at i know we're getting a bit off track but if you look at this disease where was it the worst in the in the spring in the north why because we're all indoors right in march april may we start going outside, as we all do at this in this part of the world. And once it's May and it warms up, we're not inside nearly half, maybe even half as much in our awake hours. Right. And what happens in the deep south? They all start going indoors. It's too cold to, or it's too hot to even golf or whatever. They're indoors. And that's when their cases spike. And now, of course, it's flipped the other way again. So if you're outdoors watching a football game for three hours and you're socially distanced within pods of people that you are you know, declaring as fr- friends or family, what have you. I don't see anything wrong with that.
1: You know, John, Matt just mentioned though, if the Bills get the two seed, they could have up to two home playoff games, three obviously if the Chiefs get knocked off in that second round, which isn't likely but could could happen. Sure. Uh, so considering that, if you, how would you handle the Bills in terms of playing their starters in Week 17 against Miami Dolphins? We know that Pittsburgh, the team competing for the two seed as well, is already saying, hey, Mason Rudolph's going to be our starting quarterback. Some of our other key starters are probably – going to sit as well? Should the Bills just sit everyone and kind of just hope that uh, either one, their backups can defeat the Dolphins, or two, that the Browns playing for playoff life can knock off the Steelers? I look at it as
0: that's a decision you have with your front office and your owner. And you say, we're probably going to have to play the Chiefs if we're going to go to the Super Bowl. Do we want to play them? Do we care which week we play them in? Because if you do, then you Say then let's wait till the championship game, or maybe they can get knocked off in the divisional round. I'm talking on the AFC side, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna be the three seed and you're not gonna if you just don't care if you beat Miami, let's say, and you're and and Pittsburgh somehow gets by Cleveland and gets gets ahead of you and gets the two seed, then do you really want to be playing the Chiefs in the second week of the playoffs compared to the third? You look at what Buffalo has done lately. And maybe you don't even worry about that. You just say, we'll play them when we play them because if we have to beat them at Arrowhead, either in the second or the third round of the AFC playoffs, then who cares? Maybe they'll take that choice and they'll just do what they think is right for the health of their football team going into the postseason, right? I mean, that's you You guys thought what they did last year, right? Was it one series or two where Josh played against the Jets, mm-hmm, right?
3: Two. I can't Was
0: it two? Yeah. So, you know, we could probably expect being that you know coaches and teams tend to do what they do one year, the next year, especially if it's a winning formula for them, then maybe they would do that again. But I I look at it as what they fear—not fear, but what they feel is best for their team as far as when they play the Chiefs, because they've lost one game in the last now 13 months of football, and that mm-hmm. includes the playoffs. So if you think that's important, that you get more play a uh, two playoff wins under your belt uh, before you play them. Or does it matter if you only get the one? I don't know. If, if it were me, if it were me, I would say I would want to get that two seed, as, do whatever I can to get it. And if you get two, two scores ahead on Miami and you feel that that's enough to, to pull Josh and a couple of other starters and do
3: that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we haven't got a chance to talk in the press box this year. Um, uh, really? I mean, you can't really talk in there anyway. Um, but I can't even cross the border. I know, right? I know. I flew there, I could. (laughs) Exactly. From Toronto, right? Right. It's a weird year. Um, But in this weird year, watching this team play, um, what are your impressions of it? And, you know, you cover the NFL too. I mean, you have kind of a broad view of this thing as, you know, we're kind of all more dialed into this team. And so we see a lot of it. From that outside perspective, what is the ceiling on this season? for the bills and where would things be kind of like maybe a disappointment? Like if they don't, is it just, you have to win a playoff game or has, I kind of think the AFC championship game has kind of become the floor of expectations now.
0: Well, given how they're playing and let's just quickly review that. I'm sure you guys do this all the time and maybe even earlier before I came on, but you look at who's the hottest team in the league. I mean, that is an old coach an old, not an, old coaching coaching axiom but, but it used to be from generations ago I remember Woody Hayes the great Ohio State coach often said don't tell me a team's record don't tell me how they've been playing overall with you know the year-to-date stats I want to know how they're playing lately he said it's the only thing that matters I mean you look at I just did a piece the other day on the Seattle Seahawks defense when they were in Buffalo all Bill's fans saw kind of the nadir of that defense just how bad it had got do you realize that they're Statistically, and I know that their level of competition hasn't been great, but since that day in Buffalo, they have allowed the league's fewest points per game 15 wow. and that their pass, they're, they're still ranked 32 on the season. Here's a great example of what I just said. They're still ranked 32nd in the league in pass defense, but I think they're third in the league in pass defense or sixth since that game. I mean, they are top five, top six in almost all categories since losing to Buffalo for the last seven games. So it's how you're playing lately. And to now apply that to the Bills by some numbers I was just jotting down since the midway point, since the beginning of November, they are scoring thirty five point three points a game Mm. And, and not against a lot of bad teams in that stretch. Teams with good defenses like San Francisco, which, you know, they're still playing pretty decent decent defenses here, even if they're not winning many games. And then defensively, though, I look at the Bills much as I'm looking at Seattle. And early on, everyone kind of gets their, you know, we all go into the season with preseason ex- expectations, and it takes us a few weeks to go, okay, maybe Josh Allen isn't this, he's that. Maybe the Bills' defense isn't that, it's this. But you also then Kind of, we also have a tendency, I think, guys, to just kind of then glom on to what we have made those reevaluations in September and October. Mm-hmm. We kind of then apply that for the rest of the season, and I think we all kind of were of the mind that the Bills' defense was something of a disappointment. You know, we all were somewhere, um, you know, with different extremes, I suppose, within that uh, definition. But I'm looking now at their last since the the Hale Murray. points per game they're allowing and it's Bill Belichick has always said, "Don't tell me the yards per game allowed. Tell me the points per game allowed, because yards can be a, um, a, a a fraudulent statistic. Only because if you get ahead a lot, like the Bills have, you don't care if the Broncos get a couple of late garbage touchdowns. And that's when the points and the the points and the yards might uh, the yards will add up more than the points typically do in those situations. So their defense, to me, and their offense, they're as hot as any team in the league. They've lost the one game on hail Murray." Right. Since since, since Halloween, they're as hot as any team going to the playoffs. So to circle back to your original question, Matt, yeah, if you're a Bills fan, you got to be thinking, hey, you know, at least one playoff win, two. We should have at least two playoff wins just basing on the momentum that they have going into the postseason with seemingly by the week. Josh Allen gaining more confidence I mean, uh, I know he talks weekly on, on the Bills uh, home radio station, but the um, uh, Greg Cosell's a good friend of mine in the NFL, and I've been talking to him for years and uh, when I was talking to him about Justin Herbert, who by the way he talked to somebody in the league, this was I believe in late October but uh, he talked to a key talent evaluator who told him uh, that, you know Herbert's more talented than Trevor Lawrence and wow. And I know he didn't have a great game against Buffalo, but he kept them in it. And if they had a head coach who could make some decent play calls down the stretch in these games, maybe it would have been even closer. But I, I raised that only because I also asked Greg Costell about Josh Allen. I said, what are we seeing with him? Is it for real? Yes, it is. I mean, he was as he, as he tends to do, he goes down the, the list of the reasons that he sees on film of the advancements. And I, I find it funny at the time, though, he said, you know, I think he was 68% completion he said we're not likely to see that continue to the end of the season and I believe this week he's still at exactly 68 percent completions on the season it even came down a bit this past week so I don't I look at all these uh, the momentum that the Bills have going into the playoffs and that can be a faulty thing too because I covered the Ravens game their home playoff game to Tennessee last year when they hadn't lost in September they lost their their two games that they lost last year were both the last two weeks of September. And then they went in the playoffs on a three-month winning streak, looking great. And they just lost all the momentum with that bye week. The Bills don't have that worry about having the bye week. And I think so, I think it'll help them that they have to stay on target, be you know, just keep this momentum going. But there is no team in either conference that's going into the playoffs on as much of a role as the Bills. That's just that's just flat out truth.
1: Yeah. Now, is there a team in your opinion that the Bills would match up really well with in the wild card weekend in terms of a, a an opponent? Obviously, you know, the scenarios have all been laid out there. Uh, the Browns, the the Colts, and uh, obviously even the Dolphins are, are some of the teams that they could see there in wildcard weekend. Is there one that you feel the Bills would match up better than the others? I don't want to see them from a Bills fan standpoint. I wouldn't want to see
0: them play Baltimore because mm-hmm. they're going to blitz. I mean last they're not blitzing as much this year but when uh, those who remember that game last year um, the Ravens went into the postseason blitzing i think 55% of the time which was uh, a record uh, from this one website that tracks that kind of thing they had never seen a team over 50% I don't believe ever and they're in str- their tracking going back whatever it was 10 15 years um they're not doing that as much this year cuz they have a little bit more talent that they drafted and acquired in the offseason you know obviously with Clays Campbell and like Jackson and those types. Um, But I still expect that they would probably look at what recipe that they found to win last year. And if you recall, after halftime, when the blitzes were working in the first half, they just decided to blitz on every down. And I talked to a couple of Ravens players after that game that said, you know, the way, you know, we sometimes in football say that, you know, we blitzed on every down. He said, we don't really blitz on every down. He goes, today we did. We blitzed on every down. And it rattled Josh. I mean, as it would anybody, because his protection wasn't as good last year. And um, so I wonder if the Bills would play the Ravens, whether they would just decide, you know, it's the playoffs. You know, they know what, Happened the year before to them uh, when they got trounced on the ground by Derrick Henry and the Titans. Uh, I think that they would just come after Josh hard and, you know, and not to put anything against Josh, but against any quarterback. If you do that a lot and feel you can get away with it as they did last year, um, then, you know, then maybe that's enough to make that game closer than you would want as, as the Bills as Bills fans would. Um so to me they would probably be the scariest team of any of those to play. Um and I would even include Tennessee in that because Tennessee's defense has been uh has proved to be um, very vulnerable to the past. We saw Aaron Rodgers the other night just in a snowstorm carved them up yeah. and I, yes, I know it was Devontae Adams, but the Bills kind of have their own Devontae Adams. It may be Devontae Adams plus, right, and Stephon Diggs. So I would think that uh, the, I would that team I don't think should scare Bills fans nearly as much as Baltimore, just based on what Baltimore might do defensively that these other ones wouldn't.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I think Bills fans maybe don't want to see Baltimore, but as someone who covers the team, I kind of do because I feel like storyline-wise... Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, I'd, re- yeah, I'd really like to see the answers there that Josh potentially could have now thing, the waters are murky right now because of the situation around Cole Beasley. Like that becomes like storyline number one. Now, as we move through the next week and a half, if he's not available, I asked Josh today on the, on his press availability, I said, what do you lose? And he, and he basically was like, you know, we lose a lot. I mean, this guy that's always open, no matter what I'm doing, I know I could count on him to, you know, get in and out of his cuts fast be kind of responsible for his job duties. And a lot of that is after the play breaks down, like you see some of the stuff this year where they've had success on passing plays, it's because, you know, whether it's Diggs, Brown or Beasley or whoever else you want to throw in the mix, they do a good job in that second phase of the play. And I think if you don't have Cole Beasley, that changes things quite a bit. But to your point, I'd be curious if the blitz would work so well this time around, the, the every down blitz because Josh has now shown an ability to read that and get the ball out of his hands quickly. I, I think they've done a really good job in this screen game, not only with the running backs, but the receivers.
0: Right. And I think what, what you just said and everybody else is a key too. Josh has shown which is rare, I think, in a young quarterback like like what he's going through with his 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 ascension this year, basically into an elite quarterback. And that is that he, yes, he relies on Stefan Diggs. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't make him the leading receiver. If you're an elite quarterback, we'd see that from everybody else too. Right. I mean, there's a reason why Travis Kelsey and, uh, and, uh, and Hill in, in uh, Kansas city have so many passes because Patrick Mahomes went, Oh, these guys are elite. I'm going to throw to them a lot. Well, but here's the other thing, that, though, that Josh has shown me this year in all of the things that he has improved in, in the areas. One of them is it's surprising, and we saw it again just the other night on, in, in New England, is he is not afraid, on a key down, if it's a 3rd and 18 or a 3rd and 12 or what have you, he's not afraid to look for his 3rd or 4th or 5th receiver that we would rank as, you know, he's looking for the backup tight end, he's looking for the rookie receiver, he's looking for... You know, the backup running back, he doesn't care who's open if if he trusts them to throw and throws to him. And I bet that's why one of the reasons why the receivers love him is because. They know that he's going to throw it to the guy who's open. It doesn't have to be Stephon Diggs. It doesn't have to be Cole Beasley. And when Brown's in there, it doesn't have to be John Brown. He's going to throw it to who's open, including for the touchdown if he has to. And you almost hear the surprise in the TV announcers because, you know, that's, I'm, I'm reduced to watching games on the TV here this year, which, you know, you don't when you're at the at the home games. But I'm surprised how many times I hear the surprise in their voice. Oh, he throws it to – and it's right. Who catches it for the touchdown? You, you know, they don't. No, they don't actually then follow that up and say, "Oh, I can't believe he didn't look for digs or somebody." That to me speaks to Josh's development, and and the statistics bear that out, don't they, guys? As far as the the how he's spraying the ball around from game to game. Not every single game, but most games. You look and goes, "Wow, he completed passes to eight different receivers, nine different receivers." I think that bodes well for for putting him in a position, whether it was by design or whether it's just happened with all of his immediate ascension in so many different realms i'm wondering if that's one of the things that uh was by design is that you know that gains not only his confidence in the receivers but the whole team's confidence that if we do lose a guy like Diggs or beasley for a week or two that you know we're not dead in the water it's he, funny he, you
3: mentioned brian's got something but it's funny you mentioned the spraying the ball around they were really trying to spread the ball around to open this last game The catches by our uh Targets to Andre Roberts, Devin Singletary, who got three targets on that first drive trying to break that record. So Brian, Brian, yes, yes. Brian Dable was very coy in his uh, press conference yesterday when asked about if he knew that Josh could surpass Jim Kelly's record. And he was like, you know, we are in there. We're, We're calling the plays. We're trying to win games. You know, we're not thinking about that stuff. I think there was a little bit of that going on in that game. I'm <laughs> just going to week, too, maybe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Stefan Diggs, uh, offense player of the week, coming off of his three touchdown performance. Can you think of a time? Because you've covered the league for quite a while now. Can you think of a time where uh, one player being acquired has helped a team go from one level to the next? Now, I, I've seen some fans say, "Oh, you know, when when the Patriots added." Randy Moss. Well, the Patriots were already the Patriots when they added Randy Moss. It was obviously a great acquisition, but you're talking about a Bills team that was getting into the playoffs based on their defense. Now, you know, this year, while the defense is playing better, the the offense has been the juggernaut. So can you think of any other trades where one player has helped take that team to the next level as much as Stefan Diggs has? No.
0: (laughs) That's what we're all going to be wondering if, you know, I'm not trying to jinx anything here, but if all of a sudden he's not available for an important game, either in the playoffs or next year or something, then I think a lot of people are going to go, okay, well, how much of this was, you know, of Josh's ascension, was due to his presence, Stefan's presence. I remember specifically this when, uh, I guess it would have been 2014 going into EJ Manuel's second year. And I was covering a Jets training camp and they, they have, a, when they were going up, uh, to uh, where? Where was there? Uh, begins with a C. Up and up. Uh, not too. Just south of Syracuse, where the yeah. Jets would go. Oh, um, oh I, 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 Cornell. I yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was. not Cornell. It was the, the that little town. Anyhow,
2: so okay. I was covering.
0: I was in their press box at that stadium there on the university, and. Um, I was in a conversation with some of the Jets beat writers about, you know, we're talking about, you know, whether Geno Smith was going to be the guy for them uh, or whether, or, you know, EJ Manuel was the guy. And we got into the conversation of can, because uh, they just drafted the Bills that just moved up to draft the uh, Sammy Watkins. And so we are in the whole conversation. It was a great chat about can a great or elite receiver make a average quarterback, a little bit better like can make an average quarterback good mediocre quarterback good I forget what terms that we used in our definitions but it basically was no you know and I remember one of the guys saying that you can look back through the history of the league of all these Ham and Hager quarterbacks or whatever term he used that when you give him a great receiver it doesn't really make him that much better but mm-hmm. we did have an asterisk because you know it was still fresh after Eli Manning's second super bowl win a few years before that where if you give a good quarterback a second or third great option then watch him just explode offensively into becoming an elite thrower because if any any good thrower has three really quality receivers you look back the only two some will argue that the only reason why the Giants won those Super Bowls in those two years wasn't you can talk about the defense all you want you know against the Patriots and everything but the offense by chance in those two years had three great receiving options both those years especially that second time when they had Banningham I can't remember the other ones but um, that was part of the conversation is the the debate that you can make a good quarterback great. If you give him three great receiving options and I find uh, that stuck with me, that part of the conversation. So to answer your question, I really think that what he has done has been part and parcel with all of this development, but look at what we saw what happened. He went from zero quality receivers to two last year and he got better. He wasn't great, but with his own development and then adding Stefan Diggs to that defenses, defensive corners must be going, can't take them all away and you can. So and that adds the confidence of the offense and to the quarterback. And I believe that's a factor this year.
3: Cortland is the city. Yes, Cortland. That's it. It was a C. Uh, thank you, Nicholas, <laughs> in the in the comments uh for helping us out. Uh I should have known that. Uh, but no, I, I, I think that there's so much that goes into you know that's I mean, we could do a whole podcast on what allows young quarterbacks to find sustained success because I think that you take somebody like Sam Darnold, who's been given really nothing to work with in terms of weapons. I mean, Rashad Perriman got paid based on three games where he just was in a situation where Jameis Winston was just pushing the ball down the field, you know, right or wrong, I'm going to get it up there and you're probably going to make a couple plays. And I think that like you look around who he has, I think James uh, Crowder is really, really good. And, um, that's one one area, but you know a, a great slot receiver, I think it's hard for them to operate and be a huge part if there's not at least something of a threat on the outside. You go back to Cole Beasley his years in in Dallas and I, I felt like he always had like a, a marquee number one on the outside. I mean early on it was Des Bryant, then it was amari Cooper, I believe. And he was um,
0: underutilized there, I always thought, too. That's why definitely. when the Bills got him, I thought if they use him as somebody, you know, as the Bills would use an Edelman or a, a a Welker, somebody's always open on the dig route, he's a weapon. He isn't just an auxiliary receiver. He's a weapon. So
3: you're right. right I totally and agree. then you take you take Baker Mayfield and you say, okay, I could take his body of work, his three years, and say – this is who he had. This is who he had to work with. And I can definitively say, you know, through two and a half years that he wasn't meeting expectation. He was underwhelming. He was bad at times, but you know, he's starting to figure it out. I think, I I just think it's such a nuanced thing that people are in such a rush year one to figure out if a quarterback's going to be good or not. Like, I think Ryan Tannehill might be the most perfect example of, you never know when a guy can figure it out and turn it on. And I think at times this year, finding the right situation, getting a bona fide number one in A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill's kind of found his niche, and he's he's on a contender in Tennessee and making plays. And, you know, I don't anybody shoot me for this, but I think he was in the MVP conversation for a couple little periods of the season. I
0: agree. I, agree. I absolutely and, agree.
3: And yep. so I just think that it's got to be something where we – I think we just need as a as, – as a, just so starving fan base media community for immediacy in sports. Sometimes it's just good to step back and be like, Hey, in five years, I will tell you definitively whether or not Josh Allen is going to be good <laughs> or is good. Right.
0: I mean, and we've seen examples. Jared Goff is a great example. I, I don't, I think I'm not alone in this and I kind of go by month to month, you know, you'll have a month where, you know, I was too hard on that guy. He's better mm-hmm. than that. And then I'll go through like, the last month and go, no, I don't think I was hard enough on him. Uh, it is. It's not a straight-line improvement for anybody. Or even, you know, everything is almost like a uh, – what was that that movie with Tom Hanks about the, the politician the, who started the uh, whole Afghan war? Uh, Charlie Wilson's war. Mm-hmm. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, um, uh, you know, he, they're clinking the drinks at the end when they finally uh, – when Russia – uh, basically admitted losing the war in Afghanistan and and retreated and they're clinking glasses and everything and and Philip Seymour Hoffman CIA character said we'll see you know the old uh, the old zen philosopher was always we'll see it was never now's the time where you can make the conclusion as to you know the the situation as it is it was always we'll see because it now it's just another you know, uh, step in the road and the the car never stops going. So right now, he's great. Is he going to be great next year? Talking about Josh Allen, one would think. Um, there are so many ways that he has improved that it would, I think, surprise everybody, even his harshest critics, um, if he didn't continue this next year. Well, even if uh, his receiving core, for whatever reason, isn't as good. We've seen so many good things out of him. And one stat I, I think I tweeted the other day, I might not have, but I might have only let my boss know and he's a big Bills fan with season tickets. And I said, said, guess who's number three and number two in the league in third-down conversions? It's Green Bay and Kansas City. Guess who's number one? The only one over 50%, the Bills. Mm -hmm. And they're not the Ravens where it's third and one and third and two and third and three because of the running game. I think last year the Ravens were tops or near tops in the league in third-down conversions. They're doing it because of Josh Allen. And that, to me, is one of the – you know, if you had to break down NFL quarterbacking into three or four statistics, to me, it's third down conversions with passing because you might have a guy like Kyler Murray not to dump on him too much. But when they're behind by a couple of touchdowns, their offense is different because he can't run as much and, and he has to do it more with the arm and he just can't do it as well. He's just not that developed yet to be able to do that. And he might mm-hmm. get there maybe as soon as next year. Uh, Josh probably would have been in that boat, even as maybe even last year. So I'm not knocking him and and, and naming him in particular. But my point is that there can't be a team that goes in any game this year that goes, oh, if we're two touchdowns up on the Bills, we're over the hump. Now we just got to coast to victory. No, because that kid might throw four more touchdowns still. That's the difference, I think, where all, you know, you can. Point to a million things, I suppose. But for me, that's the one thing. If I'm a Bills fan, that, yeah, you know, we got one of those guys now. And he is. (laughs) He is. He's in the MVP conversation and he's performing like
1: it. And and another area where I feel like this team has grown is in terms of their aggressiveness on offense, in in terms of going for it when there's a metric out there, and I I don't have it in front of me, but I, I see it tweeted every week. And the Bills all year have been toward the top of the chart in terms of. Teams that should go for it on fourth down, and and they actually do in those situations. The Bills have been at the top, and I think seeing Josh Allen's development, seeing that play has helped. now three for three against the Patriots. One was a fake punt, but in two other situations, they roll out there, they convert it. We've seen it time and time again. So how much has Josh Allen's play helped Sean McDermott become a more aggressive head coach?
0: It must be part and parcel because I have thought about that a lot. And if you don't mind, I'm going to just, I called the store just in case we went there. Um, my preseason feature on the Sunday for week one was, I talked to um, Brandon Bean and it was on the pressure. I basically said that the pressure this year on Josh Allen and Brian Dayball is probably as big as anybody in the league. And if that team starts faltering with everybody saying the bills are going to win the East this year, the AFC East that if by the month two, It's the offense is still sputtering and hiccuping, or as it was last year. You know, you didn't know what you're going to see from week to week, depending on how much confidence it's. I don't know if you agree with this, guys, but I thought it it varied week to week how much confidence the coaches had in Josh that he could, whatever they were asking him to do. There were sometimes in mid mid season after they lost to the at home to the Patriots last year. I I felt that they went a few weeks where they kind of really pulled back. It seemed to me, it's like, all right, we got to win other ways. we got to win other defense, special teams, running game, and just not have Josh be as big, a have a bigger role in whether we win or not. That's how I felt. They went, they were navigating through the middle of the season. I remember even asking uh, coach McDermott, uh, I think it was after the, the Patriots game where he, Josh just seemed overwhelmed emotionally as much as anything. Um, I said, does he know where the line is? Does he even know where the line is not to cross as far as, you know, those rollouts to the rights and throwing those bad interceptions back to the middle of the field that he was doing so often early in his career. And he kind of admitted that he didn't want to obviously throw Josh, you know, into the bus or anything, but, you know, he, he was saying that, yeah, that's a challenge. He's got to find where that line is. Well, he knows where it is now and and he knows all the things that he isn't supposed to do. And, you know, this is another thing I think we have to understand too about Josh at the level of play that he had in college uh, whether it was a contributing factor or not, but I've talked to people that about you know why wasn't you know Patrick Mahomes drafted higher, and I remember having a chat with Bru- uh, Bruce Arians in the year that he was off when he was doing CBS commentary, and one of the things that he was saying is there are some of us in the league as we're now hearing from Sean Payton that you know were thought this guy was you know the guy that he could beat, uh, and Andy Reid has said many times to a lot of people that you know you just had to get the bad plays out of them. It wasn't that he didn't have all this tremendous upside. It's that you had to eliminate the plays that people were downgrading his rating because he could lose you the game as, well, as much as win it in any given week in college. And of course, you know, he's Andy Reed has been able to do that with whatever, for whatever reasons uh, with, you know, his other coaches and with, uh, with Patrick's own development. But my point is, is that he was, he kind of play, paid those dues, if you will, Patrick Mahomes in college and nobody, goes much back to the college tape and goes, oh, but he was this guy. But now, of course, Josh, his development has come a little later in his NFL career. And so his critics are always going to point to year one and two and go, but look, look at that. You know, we've got to see that he could still be that again. Whereas they don't do it with Patrick because that was all in college. And nobody goes back and looks at the college tape and, and extrapolates that. Right. So I think that what we're seeing from him, you have to believe it. But going into the season, as I was saying, is you know, some of the some of the points that I was making, I was saying that it's crucial that they get off to a good start and that they have the confidence in him. So whether it was Josh's play early on, because even in that first game against the Jets, there was some, you know, we had that fumble. I think he might have had a first half interception too. It was a bit shaky there in that first half. And I wondered, okay, are we gonna see what I thought? And you know, they, they might it might be wrong of me and they might not ever say that it was the case. I always felt the Bills coaches pulled back his reins and tried to minimize Josh's role in within games when he would make bad mistakes or from uh, within the season overall. I don't know if you guys felt that that's what I felt is that they were, they were holding him back because they didn't want to lose games with Josh, just doing, trying to do too much for whatever reason this year, it's all working. They are letting him go. That is giving Josh confidence. And I think then that's giving the coaches, especially Brian Dable, confidence in, all right, well, if he's not going to make mistakes doing that, let's let him give him this much. And then that's the, the confidence is two-way, and it's feeding them both. I think from a play-calling standpoint and Josh's own confidence standpoint, I think they're both mutually rising with each other, the confidence that each has in the other. Because J- Josh must be like, you're going to ask me to throw a lot now. This is early in the season. I'm saying that he probably was thinking that, that, I've I've got the confidence of these coaches now when I'm sure there were times, uh, certainly as a rookie, but even last year when Josh must have felt they don't have confidence in me that I can do this because you know I'm ending off on third and 11 and we're going to just punt because Sean is a conservative coach and he's, he knew what he had to do to try to probably best chances to win a game. This year, it's almost as like, as you guys said at the top, you know, hey, if any team has a chance to match the Chiefs touchdown for touchdown at, at Arrowhead in late January, it's probably Buffalo.
3: I can't remember if Sean specifically said it or not, or in, in as many words, but you could tell that just the approach with Josh last year after the new England game was completely, um, you know, there was a safety button pressed, you know, when he was going out on the field, like, you know, there were certain things that I think they probably even took out of their playbook, I would imagine, that they didn't even want to risk it because it was almost like a a building back up. Like uh, to you mentioned, like his his confidence was so shaken in that Patriots game. And he said he had to he, he w- said he went and apologized to Brandon and, and Sean and said he was gonna rebuild from there. And so it was like brick by brick throughout the season. You saw games of where I feel like you saw um, you know, little pockets of the success that we're seeing now, but nothing sustained and nothing to the level that it's at now, but what they've done that's so important. And I feel like should be a lesson in roster building and, you know, just team generating in in general, they've insulated him. They've insulated him from every level with who they put around him from, you you know, Sean, who has this like culture where, you know, with Brandon, they bring in certain kinds of guys and the guys that they've brought in, you look around them, Mitch Morris is his center, that stable force that, you know, that guy that he's unflappable. Jo- Josh has talked about that. Stefan Diggs, who of course is a playmaker, but even he said the other day, I go up to Josh in games and just check on him. How you doing? Like, how's, there, how's everything going? Like to me that says, okay, if there's an overwhelming moment, knowing that you have the NFL's leading receiver there to bounce ideas off of, or to just be there for you in general as a leader. Those are huge things. And I think yeah. Brian Dable has grown as a play caller with the same kind of nucleus of players for a couple years in a system. He's never had that opportunity before because it's always been one and done.
0: Right. Right. And <sighs> that's kind of what the point of I'm trying to make too. You just said it more, much more eloquently than I did is that it's mutual between the coaches and Josh, the development I see it is that there, they were, would love, probably would have loved to have given him these kind of plays last year. If Josh could have shown that he could do it. And, and you know, that gets back to my other point as I was looking at that preseason feature and going, wow, that was, seems like a long time ago, but you know, and, and I know some bills fans uh, and I know some that get, kind of touchy about, you know, uh, and almost like vindictive against the people that were uh, critical of him going into the year. Well, there's difference. Some were unduly critical and just, you know, uh, never thought he'd amount to anything. And I was always just, you know, I see the, the flashes, um, not just as a runner and not just in that first season. I'm going to try to find the words that I had in there just so I can speak a little bit more, sound a little bit more intelligent than I probably ever come off. But it's, it's what he was able to do um, in his first couple of years, which you just wanted to see him do it as as a passer, because we saw in that, in that rookie year at Miami, I always point that out to people, where he just decided that second half, you know, I don't know enough about the passing. It's probably, you know, whether he thought, you know, the secondary looked like Times Square on New Year's Eve to him as the Sam Ritigliano, great line of his that he used to always say. I don't know if he thought that, but he thought, I've got this football in my hand, And they're letting me run it, and I can run up for 20-yard chunks whenever I feel like it, and the point of this game is to move this brown thing down the field. And I think he really just, from a gamer standpoint, an athlete competitive nature standpoint, just decided I can do this. I can help this team win a game today, if not just by being a passer, but by moving it down, and I'll do that. Whatever I've got to do to win. And I think we all saw in that game that this kid has moxie competitiveness and resourcefulness, I guess, is maybe the word. He's going to do what he has to do. Of He's going to wring out of his talents what he has to to win. And we are all just waiting going into this year to see, can he be an elite-level passer too? And it wasn't that um, people were doing it snickeringly. I know I can speak for myself and say I wasn't. It was just, you know, I know I didn't have all Bill's fans like what I was writing sometimes last year. And certainly as that preseason feature, I got a couple of emails just from, oh, well, wait a you see. Well, yeah, okay. I, but that's, isn't that the point that everybody's trying to make? Is we have to see it to know that he's, mm-hmm. he is that. And he nice. has shown it, and then some. You know, that if you would have asked me before the season, did I think that I would have him as I moved him up two and a half weeks ago to my number three quarterback in the league behind Rodgers one and Mahomes two, I would have just laughed and said, no, he'd never get that high, not that soon, maybe in two, three years. But how how can anybody, I think, honestly think that he isn't a top five quarterback based on his play this year? Maybe he won't be next year. Maybe this will be an outlier. I don't think so. Um, But the fact that he is, it is real. It is all there. I've talked to experts who all believe it. What we're seeing is the real deal. He has
1: improved that much in one year. What would your level of concern be in terms of an outlier if Brian Dable were to leave for a head coaching job? Is that something that would raise a red flag in terms of, can he do this for another year without the offensive coordinator that's been with him from day one? I would think so. I mean, for, this
0: just doesn't look like a smoke and mirrors type of thing where a system quarterback, because of all his arm talent, which everybody always knew was there, was it? Would he, could he develop the touch passes? Could he throw a screen with a soft touch? There was one game, I forget now which one it was. It might have been San Francisco a few weeks ago, where there's two or three or four passes in a row that were all of different arm strength and technique and everything and what he had to do to complete those throws. And I just thought he has just diversified his game so much. So if Dayball leaves, the only problem that uh, McDermott and Bean will have is the deluge of, of, of uh, official and unofficial requests to try to replace them with uh, somebody who's already a good signal caller or a proven one in the league, because there'll be no shortage of, really quality offensive coordinators that would want to come here and replace uh, Brian Dable if Brian does get a job somewhere.
3: I've been really hesitant to jump in the idea that Ken Dorsey would be this, like, slam dunk replacement for Dable just because, to your point, you know, they probably would have their pick of, you know, some pretty good experienced play callers and, you know, offensive, schematic, um, you know, talented folks. I've I've been asking over the course of the last couple of weeks, you know, Brian, Sean, about about Dorsey's impact because nobody really talks about him, other than to say to just kind of add him into the conversation. You know, if Josh is talking about what's been important and you know, obviously working with you know, Coach Coach Dorsey or you know, whatever he ends up saying, but I've, I've asked them all about what he's done and his imprint on this offense and his importance to Josh is a lot more. Nuance than I think we've just been privy to. And part of that is the development of the approach to the game. And so I'm wondering, sitting back, and they haven't gone into the details, and this is murky waters, because you're going to get into you know the overwhelmed nature that was there for Josh in the first two years. But I think that dealing with the moments when it felt like the ship was sinking. Like you go back to Houston last year when he was struggling quite a bit. I think it's Ken. To you know that has a role. How much of that is there that that's helped kind of move him forward and help him deal with those moments because he played the position. And this week we talked to Cam Newton or New England media did, and he went back to his MVP season and the the effect that he had on him there. And Brian telling me that Ken has had a a, a piece in creating the offense creating game plans creating the way they attack teams makes me think maybe it is something that they they'd consider giving giving the reins over to ken dorsey
0: that might be the case but as you said you know we, if what everything brian told you was is is accurate and true then maybe he can be an architect but i always look at it that's the term that i use um for coordinators on offense and defense and i suppose special teams but i never think of it in those terms for that part of it but they're architects they're designers they're designing plays and you you design when this play works then we have something to come off that and of course Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan are probably the best in the league and Sean Payton who I guess would be the three best in the league at that is that you know you they show you one thing now you just better be ready for you know if it's a run to the left with that look and that action and that formation then you can better be be ready for the play action pass to the right uh, soon to try to get you out of position so it's to me that the for coordinators they're architects so are there is the quarterback coach or uh, is he going to be a guy who um, is deeply involved in that enough to take over and do it himself you know because the talent changes from year to year when well, there's going to be changes in the bills offense to some degree next year we just don't know what they all are because um, that's true of every unit in the league um, but I, here's a here's to to, to that point and for something for people to consider. Look at the Minnesota Vikings last year. They brought in uh, they uh, I think they had elevated Kevin Stefanski to offensive coordinator late the year before when they fired uh, uh, whoever they'd come over from from uh, Philadelphia, I believe. Um, whoever it was, they'd fired him. And so Stefanski was the offensive corner. But then in the offseason, they brought in the Kubiaks. Gary Kubiak, and I believe his son, came over as offensive consultants or whatever title they had given them last year. And, of course, by so the end of the year, you know, they, he got a lot more out of Kirk Cousins last year. You know, they, made, they beat uh, the Saints in the first round of the playoffs and made it to the divisional round game at San Fran. And so that offense looked a hell of a lot better last year, not just because of Delvin Cook, but the passing game just had come to life. Stephon Diggs probably right <laughs> but we're looking back at it now going like when they hired Kef- uh, Kevin Stefanski the, the Cleveland Browns I'm wondering you know they're hiring him based on Minnesota's great improvement but was that Kubiak or was that Stefanski mm-hmm. you know and Zimmer would never maybe there were stories that that broke it down uh, that actually uh, you know uh, d- did the breakdown of who was exactly doing what that year I never saw that story but my point is is that On any team, you never really know who's um, who is doing it when you've got that kind of a murky coordinator role where you had that last year in the Vikings between Stefanski and Kubiak. I thought Kubiak had a much bigger role in it. Well, maybe I was exactly wrong because Stefanski's gone to Cleveland and gotten a lot more out of Baker Mayfield than others had. And that's even without much of OBJ all season. And you look at what's happened, you know, Kirk Cousins has gone back to being what I call the most period, enigmatic period, quarterback period ever. Because <laughs> within each game, let alone from week to week, this guy can look like a surefire elite quarterback who's worth every dollar he's getting. And he can also look like the guy that should be third string on the practice squad within each game, let alone from week to week. I just I have no idea what Kirk Cousins is going to get when he comes out in the field on first and ten. Uh, so my point of that raising that is you don't really always know, and maybe we never will know with most teams and most sides, offense or defense, exactly who's responsible for all of it, whether it's, you know, 50, 50. And a good example of that is that year with uh, even with uh, McDermott, when Frazier, um, the the defensive plays, uh, McDermott was his first year or second year that he kind of seemed to their reports and beliefs that maybe he had taken over play calling, but he would never confirm it. And I love, How these guys, not from a media standpoint, but from how they're doing it standpoint, I think they're great to keep all that stuff in-house. It's nobody else's business except the players and the coaches. Um, If if you're a member of the team or if you're a fan, that's the way you've got to look at it. But we didn't exactly know, and maybe we still don't know exactly how much of the defense is, is Leslie's and how much of it is Sean's and who's actually calling plays from game to game, quarter to quarter. Do we all know? I don't know. Maybe you guys know, but I don't know. And that's kind of the way it is on all teams. So to circle back to Ken, if he's deeply involved in the architecture, the structuring of that offense, and then the week-to-week game planning of selecting which plays to use against which defenses, because we think these ones work this week and not so much those ones that worked last week, then maybe he would be a candidate. But if he's not ready for that, then there'll be plenty of good candidates who do know that stuff.
3: Mr. John Crick, thank you so much uh, for taking this time. Honestly, we could we could probably keep this going uh, even longer. We're going to have to get you back uh, pretty soon here. Um, at John Crick, J-O-H-N-K-R-Y-K, Toronto Sun, NFL columnist. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll do this again soon because uh, I, I feel like we're going to have a couple shows here to fill as we move towards uh, the playoffs, and your insight is a welcome addition.
0: I really appreciate you having me on, guys. Thanks
3: a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, buddy. All the best. Happy New Year. You too. All right, Ryan. um, Before we get out of here, we are not going to. I was just thinking about this. Uh, Let me just get this off the screen. Uh, We're not going to have a show uh, to preview the Dolphins game because we, um, if starters aren't going to play or they're not really going to play, who knows what this game is going to mean. So we probably won't do one before. uh, Take a little break uh, for the weekend. Charge up for the. Uh, big uh, push in the playoffs. So let's come back and talk about a lot of things happening with the bills right now. Uh, maybe a quick 10 minutes here. If you have any questions, I've seen a couple things definitely hit us up in the uh, comment section. Uh, but I have a few things, a few things I want to talk about before we go
2: ready for football with Thanks. every game, a home game Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway for six weeks. Every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70 inch 4k TV shop tops for the best deals in town in store or online to win.
3: We didn't talk about this before we did the show, but I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth and looking at some of the stuff happening on Twitter. And there are some stuff that I'd like to address before, you know, game day. And there's, you know, a few things. You know, the Bills just signed Gary Jennings to their practice squad. Uh, and I know there's a lot of questions about Kenny Stills, who the Bills brought in uh, for a workout today. The plan is, according to Adam Schefter, they're going to sign him as well. And then Joe Biscaglia just tweeted that um, – Uh, Quote tweeted, actually, um, I think it was Aaron Wilson from Houston Chronicle, Tanner Gentry from Wyoming, played with Josh Allen there. He was in a visit today as well. So the Bills are looking at some receivers. Now, first and foremost, Ryan, they have a spot to fill because Jake Kumaro was claimed off of waivers by the New Orleans Saints. So that is my guess for Jennings. I think Stills is kind of a little bit of everything. It's number one, the talent that he has to add another piece like that depth-wise no matter what Cole Beasley's situation is, you you do that. And you know, I don't know what what things are are what things are gonna look like with Cole Beasley in a couple weeks here. Josh Allen, I posted a story before we started this, He sounded pretty optimistic that if not this week, Cole Beasley would be available next week. He'd push through it, do everything he can to play. We'll see. Week to week is never a good designation. But I just think this is a lot of moving parts, but a, a lot of just tweaking to prepare in the instance that. There is some type of catastrophic injury as the Bills try to move on to the playoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where Kenny Stills comes in, first and foremost. He's the guy that has a lot of experience. He's someone that can come in and and be a valuable contributor, even if you ease him along, uh, and and you don't play him as many snaps as you would like to in the playoff game, uh, if he does officially sign here. I think he's the guy for that. Now, guys like Tanner Gentry, guys like uh, Jennings, who the Bills did have a private workout with before the 2019 NFL draft, so they have done some due diligence there. You have to remember, too, the Bills, when this season is over, will be signing guys to futures contracts and those reserve contracts. So it, it doesn't surprise me that you're bringing these guys in. Jen, uh, Tanner Gentry has a ton of chemistry with Josh Allen from their college days to, together. So it wouldn't hurt to bring him in when you're signing all these extra guys to your roster, bring him into camp next year, see what he can do, see if he can uh, bring some of that chemistry back. Jennings was was someone that was drafted in the fourth round. Uh unfortunate you know shake uh, of luck with Seattle he was let go by them after they signed Josh Gordon uh and and then in Miami I believe there was an injury involved there so he he's only been active for one NFL game since being a fourth round draft pick but you'd like to believe that there's still some some talent there a a guy that has I want to say four 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 or four four two speed somewhere in that uh had a solid body of work in college, someone that you just want to try to bring along maybe for the following year because you just never know when you, when you have this expanded roster in the offseason who could be the player that steps up and, and makes some noise and ends up making that final roster the next year. But of those three, uh, I really think the only one that would make a contribution this year and that they're only thinking about for this year would be Kenny Stills. What does it
3: look like, you know, is, does somebody get deactivated if Kenny Stills comes in here, gets the, gets the offense figured out, and you're talking about potentially a Kansas City Chiefs game um, for the AFC title game. Everybody's healthy. What happens? I mean, is this a situation where you think Kenny Stills could be in the mix somehow?
1: If they're looking to go pass heavy in that game, I, I think it's something that they would greatly consider now. Who would be the odd man out? Who knows? And in the NFL at the same time, Injuries occur. It might not even be something where they have to come down and decide, okay, who's going to be the healthy scratch. It might be this guy's out this week, so it's an easier decision. Uh, It it all depends on the matchup. It all depends on how well they think he's kind of acclimated himself to this offense. So uh, I I do think that he could be someone that'd be in play to be active come playoff time, and then you'd have to make a a possibly a tough decision somewhere else.
3: All right. Um, Richard's asking, is John Brown a go? Uh, he is still in on the reserve covid list uh I, I, he could come off any day now i think he just needs two uh two negative tests in 24 hours i think there's a stipulation for 8 days but i feel like it's always changing uh with the literature i saw was when they first instituted the uh, covid protocol so we'll continue to monitor that when he's able to come back but you know if, by all accounts he did not have a positive test and that has not been reported so as of now it was a contact tracing um decision and he'll he'll be back You'd think probably soon, but I would imagine definitely before uh, the playoff game. And even if he is available, I think at this stage, it'd be interesting to see if if they trot him out there even if he's activated, because you want to you want to protect your starters. I, it's looking like it's trending like a lot of these guys are not going to play on Sunday, or if they do, it's going to be a very limited amount.
1: Yeah, if you roll Josh Allen out there for a series or two, put John Brown out there for a series or two. Work on that chemistry a little bit if you're going to throw the ball. But if it's gonna be the Matt Barkley show or if it's gonna be hitting the ball off early and often, what's the point of having him run routes out there, get him out there and block? You're just opening up the possibility of him getting hurt again, uh, in a meaningless game for all you know, all extensive purposes. So don't put them out there unless you're going to try to build up a little bit of, you know, rapport and chemistry again, which they already have. It's not something that you need to roll them out there for in this game against Miami. Uh, like you said, it's looking more and more like this is going to be more of a meaningless game for the team. So hold them out until the playoffs. You know what he can do in this offense already.
3: Man, so Connor Khabib could, could be going down if Connor can get past Dustin Poirier. Start thinking about the possibilities that lead up to that fight. And I wonder if they would do it in the summer maybe there could be fans. I mean, wow, that would be unbelievable. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an awesome hour and a half podcast. Dana white uh, coming on, uh, talking some uh, going down memory lane with me a little bit, talking some fights, talking some AFC East. I'm sure you guys have seen the clips now uh, that are circulating of him saying, go bills. That's very interesting. I'm sure bills, fans, bills, mafia will appreciate that. Unbelievable conversation with John Crick. We're going to have him back on the show. Uh, He's covered the NFL for a long time. As you can tell, talks to a lot of people that are very connected in this league. That insight has been, uh, was awesome. And I, I can't believe we haven't had him on sooner. That's my oversight. So we'll, we'll make sure to get him back here before the season's over or shortly after uh, it was a great conversation. We won't be back for a preview show. Like I mentioned, but we will be back on Sunday, probably about seven, seven 30 uh, post game edition. We'll talk about the Miami dolphins game. Of course, we'll also talk about, you know, seating i mean we'll have our our, the playoff matchups will basically be set when we go live on on sunday night so we will we will dip our toes in the water of the first home bills playoff game since 1995 ryan's at 96 technically final thought
1: yeah final thought i was going to joke with you when you said i'm going to get a clip of uh, dana white saying go bills it's already out there uh bills mafia you guys are the best thanks for supporting the show week in week out uh it's a phenomenal, it's great to just kind of get on there and see that it's already out there seeing that the fans are already embracing that. So, you know, thank you again as we reach the end of 2020.
3: Yeah. Happy new year, everybody. I mean, what a year, what a crappy year it's been, but through the, uh, you know, struggles and, you know, I I'm sure everybody has their own unique experience in this thing and in the levels of awful range. Uh, but you know, you've, this podcast has been a nice diversion for both of us, and for something that you know it seems to be bringing enjoyment to, to fans, which was the the, the goal and the impetus behind its creation. And it's fun. I, I love talking, you know, Bills football. I love talking Bills football with Ryan Talbot, and we've had a ball. And bigger things are on the way in twenty twenty one. We're excited about it. We're excited about you know an off season filled with podcasts, and um, it's going to be a fun time for Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Find it on all of your audio platforms. Go back and listen to it. Our our conversation with with Dana and John, you can find it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, everywhere. Download, subscribe, and rate and review, and we will see you on Sunday. Take care, everyone.
2: Ready for football? Top's is with ready-to-serve fan favorites. Everyone will cheer for delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and...